You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid healthcare conversations with physician recruitment industry's top executives and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. Today on the podcast, we have another inspiring woman, Anne Massey-Badmiss. Anne is an immigration attorney and strategist. She is also an author of the book, Immigration Prescription, the practical guide to U.S. immigration for foreign-born physicians. She is also an immigrant advocate. She founded the Immigrant Journey Awards, also the Immigrant Entrepreneur Network, the DFW Global Cowork. She's a part of the New American Economy. She won top 25 women in business um, for the Dallas Business Journal. She was voted top lawyers in Dallas from 2016 to present. So we are really excited to talk to Anne and pick her brain on physician immigration. So thank you so much, Anne, for being here. And let's get started. So Anne, um, as we get started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, your background and what made you want to become an immigration attorney? Okay. Well, uh, I uh, am an immigration attorney, as you mentioned, and uh, I started out in law about 30 years ago and actually had gone into corporate law for a little while uh, in Delaware and uh, kind of decided personally to start my own practice, uh, mainly because I was I thought it would be more flexible in terms of uh, family life. <laughs> uh, so uh, I started my own practice and one of the areas I became interested in, um, mainly because I had some um, personal experience with it. My husband is from Nigeria, so we went through the immigration process for him. And so I decided to make immigration one of the areas um, that I would practice. So that was about, yeah, about 20, 25 years, 26 years ago. I um, started to do that and really uh, started to focus mainly on immigration when I moved to Texas, which is where I am now. The Dallas, Texas area, and uh, that sort of took off, and I just decided to uh, specialize in immigration and haven't regretted it ever since. Wonderful. Well, mm-hmm. well I noticed you have a book called The Immigration uh, Prescription. Uh, what gave you the impetus to uh, put your thoughts down into a, a book? Yeah, really just to pass on knowledge and, and make it um Well, I just really think it's important for um, clients to be informed as much as possible. Uh, And a lot of times there's a lot of information out there, especially on the Internet. And our, you know, we we have so much access to information. Uh, Unfortunately, much of it are a lot of it could not be might not be correct, especially when it comes to law, um, because it is a complicated area. So um, I found that having clients who were well informed uh, were, you know, actually were more successful, were um, honestly easier to work with if they understood, you know, what the process was. And I thought having a book that I could um, really control that information and make sure it's accurate was important. Uh, So I decided to publish that and allow, you know, people who were interested, particularly doctors, of course, who who, uh, wanted to immigrate to the U.S. or already in the U.S. and going through the immigration process could really have good information about um, what that involves. Now, it's not a replacement for advice because, you know, I can only really provide general legal information, but it's very important that uh, any uh, anyone going through that process really gets specific advice for them. Great, great. Now, kind of a broad question, what steps do foreign-born physicians need to take to prepare for this process? 
Um, it kind of depends on where they are. Um, so, and what I mean by that is where they are in, in terms of wanting to uh, or wanting to immigrate to the U.S. We do get a lot of uh, physicians who are uh, in their um, home countries. Uh, they've completed their medical degree and are really kind of looking into uh, wanting to practice in the United States. So typically what they really need to understand is the immigration process, of course, and a lot of that does require that they actually um, in many ways, start over again, not necessarily go back to medical school, but if they've done training in their home countries, they will still have to do training here. They'll have to, of course, get licensed here. Um, and in order to do that, they need to understand what the immigration process is for that. It is pretty limited in terms of the ways that um, foreign physicians can immigrate to practice here. Uh, so they, they really need to um, like many who do, uh, probably one of the um, resources they need to to uh, find is an immigration attorney who can help them through that process. Okay, and typically, how long does it take to prepare to immigrate to the United States? Uh, well, once they uh, the physicians have completed their uh, testing, which is the USMLE um, uh, scores uh, testing that they have to take, uh, if they've passed all of those and are eligible. Uh, to and get matched into a residency program or a fellowship program, then uh, typically that's a fairly quick process, at least in terms of immigration time, which is probably a couple of months or so that they can actually uh, get their visas to come here and go through their training. But the real, um, I guess, uh, complexity comes in when they have completed their training and now want to uh, work in the United States. So that process in itself and for them to finally uh, get permanent status to remain in the United States and eventually become citizens, it really depends on what country they're from because there's some long waiting lists for people who want to uh, become immigrants or become uh, permanent residents in the United States. And that could be anywhere from two or three years to tw 12 years or more. So wow. <laughs> it ranges. Yes, it's a it's a very wide range. And, it's, and sometimes we we that 12 years is sort of an estimate. So in particular, for example, doctors who are born in India or from India, they tend to have the longest waiting time. And it's mainly because of the numbers of people that come to the United States from India. Uh, our system currently limits the numbers of people that can come from any particular country. We basically give the same number of visas or immigrant visas, which is permanent residence, uh, to uh, nationals of every country. So as you imagine, there's uh, over 100 countries, and some countries are larger than others, like India and China. Mm -hmm. And so they're still limited to that small number, and that makes their waiting time very long. Is there any special um, circumstances where there might be a physician where, like, who's specialty trained and is needed here um, that you can kind of have him pass the waiting list? Um, well, sometimes, it, not necessarily with specialties, although specialties are um, sometimes do have a little uh, better chance, and that is mainly through what we call the uh, employment-based one extraordinary ability process. So mm -hmm. what that means is that if a physician can show that um, they have achieved somewhat national recognition, uh, whether it's in the United States or in their home country, uh, they could actually get here a lot faster because they're, they're considered what's called priority workers, people who have demonstrated you know, uh, some amount of success. 
And so they're, they're really given a faster track. So for example, I've worked with a couple of um, physicians from India, from South Africa, from Brazil, uh, who have not done training here, but they are very well uh, recognized in their specialty. Uh, and when I say well recognized, I mean, you know, basically in the medical field, they are recognized uh, for some of the achievements they've had. So for example, they might have um, uh, completed uh, some research, uh, have, you know, research articles, um, have been uh, won some awards for their work, have been, fair, again, well recognized. So we've actually been able to get them permanent resident status, and they come to the United States with permanent resident status, as opposed to going through all of the other things that um, other physicians might have to do. So, mm -hmm. And when you say permanent residence, you mean the green card? Right, the green card, which green card is a prerequisite for becoming a citizen. So that's kind of a, a very important step. Okay. Well, I've heard uh, through the years the uh, EAD. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So the EAD uh, stands for Employment Authorization Document, <clears throat> excuse me, and that is really uh, work permission. The government gives permission for uh, an immigrant to work through the EAD. Uh, that's one way that they get work permission. Um, the advantage of the EAD is that it is not limited to work for any particular employer, so you can work in any field in any, for any employer. Um, but it usually is limited. It's a temporary work authorization. It it's usually lasts from anywhere from one year to two years, and it can be renewed. Uh, for physicians, most of the time when you will see them have an EAD might be through the, the green card process where they are in, in the process for the green card. And uh, as part of that process, or at least in certain stages of that process, they are allowed or given an EAD in order to work. Uh, you also have what's called the uh, H-4 EAD, which is for uh, spouses of H-1B workers. Uh, there's a limited number of H-4 EADs available for spouses uh, who, who's, um, who, who want to work, of course, but also that the H-1B worker has, uh, is in the green card process. So if the H-1B worker is in the green card process, then their spouse can get an H-4 EAD. However, that's probably going away pretty soon. Uh, the current administration has decided that they will probably not, uh, will, will, will take back that um, benefit and only allow those who may be, uh, already have an H-4 EAD to continue with that, but they will not allow new H-4 EADs. There are other ways for um, people to have EADs as well. So it's just a wide range of um, uh, opportunities to get an EAD. And with the EAD, does that then allow the, the physician candidate to secure a position that a green card would be needed for? Uh, well, it's a yes. I mean, it, it's an advantage because it does not require the employer to do any paperwork. You know, like an H-1B visa, they, you know, the employer has to complete uh, the application and get approval, whereas an EAD uh, all you need to do is to present that um, to the employer in order to to um, to work. So yes, it's a, it's an advantage definitely um, for those who have the EAD. Okay, what can you tell us the the difference between J one and H one? We have a lot of physicians calling in and they say I'm a J one, I'm a H one. Uh, for our listening audience, what could you elaborate on in that category? Sure. So. Um, the J-1 and H-1 are both um, sort of what we call work visas. 
uh, particularly for physicians. Physicians can come to the U.S. Uh, to do their residency or fellowship training, and they can come either with a J-1 visa or an H-1 visa. The difference is really uh, in terms of what happens after they've completed their training, uh, because with a J-1 uh, visa physician, uh, part of the J-1 visa uh, requirement is that they agree to go back to their home country after they've completed their residency training for at least two years before they would be eligible to work in the United States. So that, of course, is for those who do not want to would rather work immediately after residency training uh, would be you know, an issue. So with the J-1 physician who is completing residency and now wants to work immediately, they would have to uh, get a, a J-1 waiver. Uh, the waiver is, uh, is waiving the requirement that they go back for two years. And in order to get that waiver, they would, um, there's a couple of ways, but the main way is to get government uh, sponsorship of that waiver by first finding uh, employment in usually an underserved uh, area and uh, having the employer apply to the state and in some cases the federal government for a waiver of that uh, two-year home residency requirement. If they get that waiver approved, then uh, the next step would be actually to apply for an H-1B visa, which would now allow them to start working after their training. So that's what happens with a J-1 physician who has started, who did their training in J-1. Um, for recruiters who are um, looking at physicians who are uh, only have an H-1B and they've completed their training in H-1B, then they don't need to be concerned with whether the location, work location is underserved or where they, they need to get a waiver. Um, however, there are some other um, requirements that kind of limit uh, the eligibility of those uh, H-1B physicians to work. Uh, mainly uh, the requirement that what has happened is um, the physician who has trained with an H-1B visa typically has been able to get the H-1B visa because they are wor um, working with a uh, university or a nonprofit uh, university affiliated training program. And why that's important is that H-1B visas usually are limited every year to about 65,000 to 85,000 visas available. Um, so most people have to compete for those because a lot of people want those H-1B visas. And so, and that's through any occupation, not necessarily medical, but any occupation. And so it's, it could be very difficult to even get an H-1B visa because of that limited number. However, uh, if the employer is a university or a nonprofit uh, affiliated with a university, then they do not need to be concerned with the limited number. They, there's an unlimited number available to those types of employers. And so most of the time, the H-1B physicians who have completed their training have uh, gotten their H-1B through that kind of employment situation. And so they're considered what's called cap exempt, meaning they are not um, bound by the limited number of H-1Bs available each year. The issue that and comes up for, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. And I was just going to say the issue that comes up for those H-1B cap exempt uh, physicians who are now completing their training and wanting to work uh, is that if they do not find another qualified cap exempt employer, then they will have to com 
to actually be considered uh, a new H-1B, which has to be counted against that 65,000 to 85,000 uh, uh, cap, which means they would have to, again, compete with maybe 200,000 people applying for those types of visas. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't hear you mention anything about for-profit hospitals and H-1Bs. Is there a process to uh, get a, a visa sponsored through a for-profit hospital? Right. So if, they're, if the hospital is for-profit, then they, they can apply for an H-1B, uh, the, but they would have to uh, compete with that, that CAP situation if, if the physician has, is either, uh, has had an H-1B CAP a cap-exempt H-1B, or they've never had an H-1B, then if they go to work for a for-profit hospital, they will have to compete uh, for the 65,000 H-1B visas. So while they can apply, right now it's sort of a lottery system, so they're going to, we probably see about a 33% chance of obtaining one of those mm -hmm. visas through that process. What can you tell us about uh, the term, the Conrad 30? Sure. So the Conrad 30 is actually a federal um, law that um, authorizes states to issue 30 J-1 waiver uh, waivers every year. So as I mentioned earlier about J-1 waivers uh, needed for those doctors who completed their training in J-1, uh, mm -hmm. those waivers, uh, they would so the, the waivers that I mentioned are Conrad 30 waivers, where each state, again, um, has an opportunity to uh, take applications from doctors and employers who want to work in underserved areas or what we call flex areas, which I can explain in a minute. But mainly the, the underserved areas qualify for these Conrad 30 waivers. But the program, while it's federal, each state ha can have their own criteria for approving those kinds of applications for waivers, and, it's, and it is discretionary. Okay, and are there, is it just for primary care, or is there also the opportunity for a subspecialist to get a waiver? Sure. Um, most of the states do, of course, favor primary care, but they also will consider specialists. Uh, each, of, each state has a different criteria for when they would um, approve a specialist. Most of the time they would like to see that there is a, a need for specialists in the area. Um, so sometimes you, um, the applicant may need to have or the employer may need to provide letters or data showing that there's a shortage of that specialty in that particular area. So yes, uh, we, we worked with lots of uh, specialists in all the states. There are also some other programs, um, <clears throat> J-1 waiver programs that uh, we'll work with specialists as well. There's the Delta Regional Authority, which um, takes takes applications all year long and is not limited to any number of um, J-1 waivers. So they can uh, also sponsor specialists, but they are only um, covering certain parts of the country, which is about 13 states around Missouri, parts of Illinois, uh, down through Alabama um, and Louisiana. Um, I have a question. I've had several physicians ask me over the years of the 65 to 85,000 uh, visas that are available. Mm -hmm. What percent go to physicians versus other uh, applicants, let's say? Sure. I don't know exactly. I've seen a little bit of data on that. Um, I would probably say it's 
probably more like 5%. It's very small. The largest industries that you see, industry that you'll see is the IT industry that takes a great majority of those visas. And then other occupations kind of spread out from there. Um, so the STEM fields are the ones that uh, we see mostly uh, taking the visas. So medical is pretty small compared to the others. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, we're almost out of time already. Is there anything else that you'd like to kind of add on or any tips you would say for any international physicians thinking about coming to work in the U.S.? Sure. So, yeah, I would say in terms of um, tips for international physicians is is really kind of uh, getting as many as much advice as possible from um, experts. So, for example, uh, from attorneys, of course, immigration attorney, that's going to be something that should be number one on the list, because that really is even if they've done all of the the uh, testing, they've been approved for the you know, USMLE, um, even gotten a residency, they really need to understand what their process is, what their plans are, and having an attorney help them uh, sort of plan out over the years, you know, um, their their practice and, and what they plan to do in the U.S. Um, uh, I would also say to, of course, talk to other physicians who have gone through that process in the U.S. and and just kind of, um, you know, get tips from them as well. But ultimately, they, they actually need expert advice to help them through that yeah. process. If someone wants to get your book, The Immigration Prescription, where can they get it? Sure, it's actually on Amazon. <laughs> and uh, they can also go to my website. It's uh, immigrationmd.com. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And we'll put a link at the bottom of the podcast so everyone knows where to get everything. Uh, Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. It was super helpful. Oh, great. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Anne. Yeah, no problem. Well, have a great day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest or for more information, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.